This is Tom Fox. Welcome to the newest edition in the Compliance Podcast Network, my latest podcast, Compliance and Coronavirus. As the voice of compliance, I wanted to start a podcast which will help bring both clarity and sanity to the field of compliance, the compliance practitioner, and indeed the compliance profession during this worldwide health and healthcare crisis. Taking up a variety of topics as diverse as working from home to sporting events, to the role of the board of directors, to crisis management, to the role of supply chains. We will look at all of these in this podcast. If you have a topic you'd like covered on compliance and coronavirus, please let me know. I'd be happy to do a podcast on it. We will post on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time for the foreseeable future as we navigate our way through this incredible crisis. First, a word about our sponsor, SAI Global. With the coronavirus and COVID-19 pandemic continuing to change rapidly, trust and integrity are paramount to business continuity preparedness. SAI Global is here to help compliance and risk professionals facing these challenges, including unprecedented business impacts from employee well-being to disrupted supply chains. SAI 360 is a cloud-first software and modern ethics and compliance learning platform designed to help you navigate risk from every perspective. To learn more about how you can protect your business operations and workforce during these uncertain times, visit saiglobal.com backslash risk for free resources, expert guidance, and industry-leading technology. Thanks again to SAI Global for sponsoring this most important podcast. Today I have with me Fry Warnick. Fry is a partner at Vincent and Elkins in Washington, and he's a former prosecutor at the Department of Justice's FCPA unit. We talk about video messaging, ephemeral messaging, and what the DOJ expects companies to do around those issues. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Fry Wernick. He is a partner at Vincent Elkins. He is a former member of the FCPA unit at the Department of Justice. And we are going to visit today about a, uh, a not a new risk, but a risk that has greatly increased from the coronavirus crisis. And that is ephemeral, mes- ephemeral messaging. So, Fry, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. It's my pleasure, Tom. Good to be back. So when I said this is not a new issue, uh, at least since December or even late November 2017 in the uh, new FCPA corporate enforcement program announced um, um, at that time, there was language around ephemeral messaging, which is uh corporate communications that uh, by its nature could uh, disappear or was not stored. Uh, there was a um, some consternation in the compliance and business community about how to comply with that. The Department of Justice issued a clarification, uh, or I would call it a clarification, but uh, any some additional guidance perhaps on that issue. Uh, and it's something that uh, compliance professionals have been struggling with. Uh, a month ago, Zoom became one of the most valuable properties on the on the planet, and you and I are doing uh, this podcast recording via Squadcast, yet another messaging app. But it led me to want to perhaps explore this issue with you of a not a new risk, but one that is uh, perhaps increased. How would uh, the regulators look at it? And more importantly, how can your clients and compliance practitioners begin to think through it? So uh, I hope I've set that up right. And if I haven't, uh, what are your thoughts, at least uh, really at this point? 
Yeah, well, look, it's it's a really good topic for you to highlight. Um, you know, look, the the world is obviously changed dramatically in just the last month to six weeks when we've all been in isolation and uh, adjusting on the fly to uh, our normal business operations. And uh, you know, you mentioned Zoom. Um, hell, before six weeks ago, I'd never heard of it, and now it's been a large part of uh, daily practice in terms of catching up on meetings. Um, you know, talking to you right now on this type of platform, um, it, I'm actually finding that uh, people are preferring to communicate uh, through video conference than they would have uh, when we would have maybe just used a phone call before. Um, uh, but it is a way to stay connected. And, um, you know, where it becomes important is if you're doing the type of communication that a company would typically have recorded through uh, normal channels uh, to conduct transactions, to uh, you talk with counterparties, um, you know, in the financial service industry, especially if you're talking about uh, taking deals, uh, taking, um, uh, you know, financial information and, and working on uh, transactions. Uh, you know, this is an area where, you know, compliance programs had not really, you know, thought through the use of video technologies, um, at least as much as they, you know, they would have now. And so, it's very timely. I will say that when I was assistant chief at the FCPA unit at DOJ, uh, this was an area of, of great concern for the government. Um, you know, so many cases are made and lost uh, based on the quality of the communications that you're able to capture uh, for the government's perspective. And uh, to build a case based on emails or based on um, uh, you know, any types of communications, and there was a realization that uh, more frequently, especially over the last several years, uh, there were platforms that were being used like WhatsApp, a Signal, uh, Telegram, um, that uh, had never been used before. And of course, every day there are new platforms that are developed. So that is what drew the changes to the corporate enforcement policy of really highlighting this. And it's an unusual thing to highlight in a very broad policy to have a specific mandate for companies to keep in, you know, to, to have controls in place for ephemeral messaging, um, but it's because it was such a large concern of the governments and appreciation that so many cases are built around uh, stored communications. So with that in mind, you know, wh what do we do about this now? And so compliance professionals, um, it, it has to be top of mind on, on how can we ensure that the types of communications that our policies uh, require be recorded and retained um, that we continue to do so now when using new technologies. And, um, you know, and, and so it, it's just trying to, you know, marry that old, the, the older policies into, you know, what has evolved very quickly into a, a new a type of business model. Um, so I think it's important that that be updated uh, for certain. The uh, many of these video conferences are not recorded, and I'm, I would guess actually the vast majority are not recorded. From the compliance perspective, I tend to want to have more documentation because I, well, first of all, I'm document, document, document guy, but I want to have an audit trail that if I am in front of someone like uh, one of your former colleagues, I can present the rational and logical basis for whatever my thought uh, process was leading me to a decision. And I want to be able to document sort of each step that, that made that up. But um, should compliance practitioners be thinking about those issues or um, is it really more the government's concern that nefarious conduct may be occurring and there's no record of it? Well, I think that, you know, the 
there are two parts to this. Uh, you know, for example, board meetings are rarely recorded, um, you know, verbatim in a transcript style, let alone audio or video. Um, but there are minutes that are taken. And now these board meetings, which were formerly conducted in a conference room, are now being conducted by video conference with people all over the world. And the you know, corporate secretaries need to be as diligent as they were before to make sure that you're properly uh, documenting what takes place in the meetings, the decisions that are being made, the presentation being made. So all of that should, you know, I think the government will expect those types of things to continue as seamlessly as they had before. Um, but there is, uh, you know, to your latter point, there's a real concern that uh, people are going off, you know, people were going offline beforehand to conduct their uh, criminal transactions, right? If you had, if you were working off of uh, normal um, work email accounts, nine times out of 10, when things started, when, when communications began uh, happening around corrupt transactions, oftentimes there would be a, a communication, okay, let's continue this at this email address, whether it's a personal server or this WhatsApp uh, handle or whatever the case may be, that is not using the business uh, platform. What the concern is now is you'll with more frequency and with more tolerance, uh, people may be going offline and using uh, the other types of platforms because they're not connected to secure servers um, when they're working from home. And so they may believe that they've got a, you know, frankly, a, and, and this may very well be for legitimate purposes. Um, and I know s several companies that are doing this that are, you know, instructing companies, well, for the time being, you're going to use one of these encrypted and, and encryption services. Um, and that is, you know, entirely because they don't have the equipment uh you know, personal homes are not equipped to be as secure and they're not working off their, uh, you know, email servers that maybe have uh, uh, the same type of security in place. So, uh, you know, there, there's a real uh, issue, though, because now that opportunity for any corrupt actors uh, to use the, um, you know, personal platforms uh, that are going to go undetected, um, you know, that opportunity is certainly arising um, with more frequency and with uh, company sanctions. So, um, you know, how to handle that is a big issue. You know, you know, another problem is, and it's less of a corruption problem, but more of a security uh, issue. You know, Zoom, for example, I mean, I think we've, we've heard now about some of the privacy concerns surrounding it, that there is, it's not really end-to-end -end encryption. Um, and even with a password, and you've had instances of hacking taking place. So if you're talking about, and this is less a criminal um, corruption concern, but it could be a, a data privacy concern. Um, you know, if you're talking about sensitive financial information or company information, and you're having these conversations over platforms that aren't fully secure, you know, what are the pitfalls for your company in that uh, uh, situation? And so, you know, I think that a lot of these companies are doing their, you're going, going very hard right now to try to, you know, upgrade those, you know, their, their security platforms, uh, to prevent uh, these types of leaks and hacks, but um, you know it's a totally separate issue, but it's one that also has to be managed. Um, and so, you know, on a compliance side, it's it's not just anti-corruption compliance that has to be uh, a concern. 
So let me uh, take the uh, conversation perhaps in a little bit different direction, uh, which is if a company does have uh, an issue arise, if there is uh, something that comes up that uh, either is self-disclosed to the government or the government uh, notifies the company of a potential investigation, and that investigation is in 2022 or 2023 or 2024, how is this time, this week, this month, this quarter going to be viewed, in, at least in your opinion, by regulators at five years, three years, two years down the road? Yeah. I mean, well, look, a lot of this depends on how long this is going to last. Um, uh, but I do think, you know, assuming this is a temporary issue and that things can return to normal fairly soon, um, there will be some appreciation by the government that there's a gap here and that uh, – um, there may be some things that fall through the gaps and failures. I, th- I find it pretty noteworthy today that Treasury um, and OFAC announced um, that this will be a factor they consider if there are uh, compliance violations that occur as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. I, I think similarly, you know, DOJ, the SEC, other regulators will um, take that into consideration. Um, if you can show that there were certain failures that were unavoidable, Certain people, um, you know, took advantage of, um, uh, the short-term compliance shortfalls. Uh, but I think a company is going to really have to show they were taking best efforts. They were operating in good faith to correct those gaps, uh, you know, to bridge the gaps as quickly as possible. Um, and, um, you know, in, in, at the end of the day, if you can show that in 2023 or 2024, then I think you'll probably see a government that is, um, hopefully, you'll see a government that's reasonable and appreciating, uh, you know, that this is an extraordinary and unprecedented circumstance. Um, but, but it's an awful place to be. Um, you know, if you're running a compliance program or your compliance officer right now, I certainly wouldn't want to bank on that. And I would want to make sure that I'm, uh, doing everything I can to avoid any types of gaps. But I just want to say that, you know, there should be some comfort taken uh, at the end, at end of the day here, given what unusual circumstance we're in. Um, if there really are unavoidable gaps that um, are exploited by some uh, wrongdoers, then um, I have to think uh, there'll be an opportunity to make your case. And I, I took some comfort in that Treasury and OFAC guidance that came out today. Right. Could it also be perhaps that this may become, uh, if not a new tool, a, a new way if, if you have to conduct an investigation remotely where uh, you have a video interview of a witness? It could be a part of the information uh, presented or documentation presented to the Department of Justice uh, during an investigation? Yeah, I mean, I think well, we're already seeing that. I've been um, yes. I will say I'm, I've been amazed at how quickly people have been able to adapt. Interviews have continued um, without the type of lag I thought I would have seen, um, uh, depositions occurring, um, you know, witness interviews occurring, um, in the zoom platform. Um, you know, they're not being, you know, they're, they're, those also, I mean, the deposition will be recorded, but a typical interview in the DOJ kind of context is not. And, um, you know, except by agents that are taking, uh, the notes, but the, um, so, so providing that kind of video evidence in at least a government criminal investigation um, probably is unlikely to, to change. Um, but I, I think the uh, 
ability and willingness of, of people to proceed in this manner has actually been pretty impressive. Um, you know, we're talking a bit more now on, on ongoing investigations, and I'll say that's all true for the fairly matter-of-fact type of interviews, the matter the interviews dealing with um, uh, interpretation of documents and numbers. The more sensitive discussions, um, that, I think, is, is being punted. And, uh, yeah, I've heard about the fact that it makes perfect sense. Um, you know, when you're talking about somebody who maybe have done, you know, some pretty sensitive things, maybe up to or over a line, um, those are not conversations. If I were a prosecutor, I would want to have over a video conference. If I were in my, you know, in my current job and I need to sit down with somebody, um, you know, who may be talking about cooperating with the government, you know, I'm going to be doing that face-to-face that's a sensitive conversation unless i know somebody already pretty well if it's a new client especially that's not something i'm going to establish any type of rapport over a video conference and so and i think the government gets that too and they're at least in the short term delaying uh, those types of uh operations or witness interviews or, or subject and target interviews um so there are certainly delays that are occurring um as a result of the situation right now and the inability to, to operate face to face and, you know, other investigative uh, procedures are also certainly being delayed. You can imagine, you know, FBI agents are not so willing to uh, go door to door and start interviewing people that they you know, don't know to get admissions or get documents when they very well might get exposed to a disease that they you know, can't see. And, uh, you know, it's life threatening, um, you know, doing, search warrants, um, premises search warrants, uh, no doubt that has been put on hold. Um, as it's going to be hard to find 10 to 20 agents who are willing to knock on a door and go uh, put on gloves and a mask and expose themselves to all types of, uh, you know, when they, when they should be just doing their uh, run-of-the-mill operational activity, they can't really do that because they're, uh, you know, not going to be eager to, to do that for a white collar case. And I think the other piece of this too, and kind of, this is just, you know, writ large impact of COVID-19, but I mean, there's now an emphasis on focusing on uh, the fraud related to, to this tremendous amount of money uh, that is being spent in the relief efforts by the government. And so I would not be surprised also if you see some agents who are tasked now, you know, moves from perhaps um, some of the longer term, international type of investigations to some short-term investigations that are, uh, you know, going to immediate fraudsters that are trying to exploit uh, the situation. Well, Fry, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but this has been a fascinating exploration of a question that's that certainly on the uh, should be on the forefront of many compliance practitioners' minds. I'm sure I'll be calling upon you again, and so I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to be here. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance in Coronavirus. If you have any questions or you have a topic you would like explored on this podcast, please shoot me an email at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, as a call to action, I would ask if you could to please tell one of your friends about the podcast so we can spread the word out about the newest podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. Also, if you would leave us a rating on iTunes or a review, it would greatly help get this the word out about this most important podcast over the next several months. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you'll join me for our next episode of Compliance and Coronavirus. This podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.